The book of Mark chapter 4 is an interesting, uh, Mark chapter 6, excuse me, is an interesting passage of scripture. In verse 45, it says, immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent them away, he departed on a mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining and rowing for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and he would have passed them by. And when he had saw and when they had saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out for they saw him. They were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and he said to them, be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled for they had not understood about the loaves and the fishes. I want to talk to you this morning, a message entitled, the miracle is in the middle. There's a miracle in the middle. These disciples, like many of you, are going through life and you're in the middle of going through something. And then the winds come, the waves come, the trouble comes. And I want you to know to stand firm because God has always got an answer, a miracle waiting for his people. Father, thank you today for your word. Let it truly be a lamp and a light unto us today. And God, let us leave this place changed, not because we've met with a man, but God, we've met with you, the creator of the universe. Thank you for your power and your anointing. In Jesus' name, and all God's men and women said, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're really good looking, and go ahead and sit down. Come on, speak in faith, speak in faith. (laughs) Some of you have to really stretch that faith, I understand. But I want you to think about something today. We're so honored to have you. Thank you for coming today to this service. I do want to say a couple of things. At the conclusion of this service, uh, we will have some additional exits. You came in one way, but if you would like to, you can leave out the door to my right. There's an exit door here, and you can leave out the door to my left. There's an exit door here. Ushers will help you go out. You can also go back out into the lobby, and the cafe will be open because we want you to fellowship, and also we want you to stay here in the sanctuary and fellowship with us here. We don't want to rush you out like the old facility. People would come in and out, come late. There's a reason why there's a 30-minute window. It's because service time starts and 30 minutes in, the sanctuary doors will will close. The the children's ministry will shut down, but you can watch it in the uh, cafe, the services. And the reason we want to do that because we want to keep the house of God excellent, but we also want to give everybody a great experience. And we're getting ready in the next few weeks to launch an online campus which will services will stream live and go all over the globe as we get ready to do uh, some things here coming up you'll hear about it as more of the cameras and everything's come in but I just want to take a moment before I get ready to minister the word to thank all of the, the hard work that went in to get this building done. Uh, behind the scenes, we had a, a, little, a, a little crew, but a mighty crew. Worked so hard. Uh, our, our youth pastor, Drew Vargas, Jerry, uh, they just worked so hard facilitating Joy, Pastor Marie, uh, of course, Jennifer. I want to thank our board uh, because without them, none of this would have happened. Stu and Marlene Burrell, I want to thank 
Joel and Heidi Prosser, my dear friends, Charlie and Lori Blackburn, our board, Sandy and Don Montoya, and also Jean Ekrit. This is the board of Oasis Church, the executive team, and without the board, and a few of them are here today. Uh, can we have everybody I just named, uh, can you stand if you're in the congregation so we can just honor you today and thank you. Give them a round of applause. They're standing up. It's just a little dark. You can't see them, but that's all right. You don't want to see them anyway. <laughs> just teasing. <laughs> But we're so honored to have you today, and this is truly, truly a, a monumental time to be in the new services, the new church, and uh, do you all like it? Do you think it's pretty nice? I really think it's nice. It's a, it's a wonderful atmosphere, and there'll be more things as we get uh, down each week, more things added you'll see, more little, little good things you'll see, like, oh, wow, that's impressive, and just different things. But I want you to think about this miracle that I just read to you today, because Jesus has, has done something. He's commanded the disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. What you need to know today is that the Sea of Galilee is six miles from one end to the other. And the Bible says they were out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which tells us that if it's six miles from one side to the other, it's they're three miles in. They're halfway there. And Jesus told them to get to the other side. But a storm came. But the first thing I want to draw your attention to this morning, that this is truly a time of separation. The miracle of walking on the water is a time of separation. Reminds me of the story of the three preachers that were out on a boat fishing. One was a Catholic priest, a rabbi, and a Baptist minister. And as they were about 200 feet away from the water, suddenly the rabbi got out of the boat. He walked to the water. He got to the shore, grabbed his lunch, sat down, and began to eat. A few moments later, the the Catholic priest did the same thing. He got out of the boat. He walked onto the water. He sat down, grabbed his lunch, and began to eat. The Baptist minister said, I know I am as spiritual as that rabbi and the priest. So he got his nerve up. He got his faith up. He walked out of that boat onto the water. He sank like a rock right to the bottom. A few moments later, he grabbed his breath, got back in the boat. He did it again. And again, he sank to the bottom of the lake like a rock. Third time, he tried it. He got his faith up. And again, he sank and he sank. And he was so just upset. And the Catholic priest and the rabbi said to themselves as they talked to one another, do you think we need to tell him where those rocks are before he drowns himself? See, they had rocks that they were walking on. This side over here, you need a little more help. I, I think this is really a time where Jesus is showing us something. The Bible says that they didn't understand the loaves and the fishes. Why? Because Jesus has just fed 5,000 men, plus women and children, perhaps 15,000 people in attendance from one boy sack lunch with enough, uh, with enough resources left over to start a Jewish delicatessen. I mean, the air is charged with electricity. It's reached such a fevered pitch that they're ready to take Jesus at that moment and make him king by force. I want you to hear that. They tried to speed up the process to make Jesus king before it was his time to go to the cross. It's important for you to understand because as these disciples are in the middle of the sea, they had just saw Jesus do this great miracle, but they did not understand it. I think about that a lot because when God does something, when we don't understand it, we ask questions, why? When we go through difficulties, we ask questions, 
Why? This miracle, he begins to do things, and they're wanting to do Jesus and make him king before it was his time, before Calvary came. They wanted to speed it up, and they wanted to make him king by force. That's how it happens with many things. You've got a great call. You've got something to do. But maybe there's a process with the miracle and you're stuck in the middle. In the Old Testament, God tells Elijah, I want you to go to the widow woman's house. I'm going to do something there. Everybody say there. There's something called there. I call it the place called there. When you get to the place of there, the place of Purpose is the place of God's power. God has a divine there for every one of his children. It's a place of purpose. And when you find that purpose, you find that power. But it's difficult when you're stuck in the middle, when you're trusting God and you're, you're, you're believing God and then the storms come. But always when Elijah goes to the widow woman's house, he introduces himself as the preacher. He asks for the last taco that's there. She gives it to him. And what begins to happen? He literally sees the meal barrel filled up. The oil barrel begins to fill up. Why? Because anytime you get to the place called there, the place of purpose always brings on God's power. Elijah did it. Jesus did it. And so can you and I. We can find our purpose and release that power and potential. God said, go there, Elijah, and I will do the miracle. Jesus said to his 12 disciples as he left this earth, I'm going to the Father now. I'm going to go to the right hand of God the Father. But I want you to go to the upper room because I am going to meet you there. There's a place called there. It was where the Holy Spirit began to fall. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. It is God moving with his power. And I'm saying to you, God has a there. Had they not been in that upper room, the Holy Spirit would not have come. God has a there for you. It's the place of his purpose. It's the place of his power. When you find your purpose, God releases his power. Don't you think for just a moment today that God hasn't endued you with great purpose, which will release power in his time, not in your time, but in his time, in his time, he'll give you what you need. Can I get a witness this morning? And what I'm trying to say is God has an exact purpose for your life. There's some reason you're on this planet. God has given you a place of purpose. When you find that purpose, you'll, you'll experience God's power. Can I tell you the greatest tragedy in life? It's not death. The greatest tragedy in life is a life that fails to fulfill the purpose of God. This is born out of Ecclesiastes chapter 6, 3 and 6. It says a man may have a hundred children. Now before I say that, I'm going to say a statement that some of you may not understand, but it's born out of the scriptures. It's better to have never been born than to live and not fulfill your divine purpose. Because it says a man may have a hundred children. And though he may live many years, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity, I tell you a stillborn child, that's a baby that's born dead. A stillborn child is better off than he. The child comes in darkness, and darkness his name is forgotten. And though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than the man who does not know his purpose. That's the Bible reason many people, they feel maybe isolated. They feel downcast because they have not experienced the place called there, where God puts purpose in your life because you've let adversity and storms and bad 
bad relationships. Things rob you from realizing God-filled potential that's in every believer at the sound of my voice. I'm telling you that because Jesus' purpose was the cross. And when Jesus came to this earth, he came for one reason, to destroy the works of the devil. And when he came, he came to go to the cross. But here comes Satan. He swings through the mob like a serpent and says, we want to make him king right now. Make him king right now. Satan will always offer sensation over sacrifice. The Bible says, present yourself a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable before the Lord. Satan will always offer feelings over faith. Some of you sing that old 70s song, feelings. Whoa, 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 feelings. Everything you do in life, I feel led. You better get your little feeler Holy Ghost checkup. You might feel led to go right off a deep ditch. Some single ladies, I love him. I feel led. Let's ask the question. Number one, does he have a job? Number two, is he saved? You notice I put that number two. Because if he has a job, we can lead him to Christ. Amen. But if he ain't got a job, I don't care where we're leading him. Oh, don't look at me in that tone of voice. You know it's true. But Satan will always offer feelings over faith. He will always offer things that are just not quite right. That's what he does. What's God's purpose for your life? He has an exact purpose. He has something for you to do. He has a job for you to do, a mountain for you to climb, a giant to whip. There's something for all of us to do. What's God's purpose if you're married? Stay married. Stay happy. Don't be so angry. What's God's purpose if you're single? Don't be uh, flirting to convert. Don't be missionary dating. Be a person that waits on God. I love last week when we had the proposal because I thought that's where things like that should happen, in the house of God. They shouldn't happen in the club. It shouldn't happen when they're all, everybody's all drunk. I love you. I love you too. Now let's get married. You wake up the next day and say, oh my God, what have I done? The dream lover turns into a nightmare. What happened? See, this is something to do. Do you remember when Samson in the Old Testament, he was dating Delilah? His parents told him, hey, that's not a good choice for you. But he did it anyway. And as a result, the Philistines came. They, they gouged his eyes out. And he, he ground corn for the rest of his adult life because he did not fulfill his purpose when he was on this earth because of bad relationships. You see, relationships and situations can take you away from your divine purpose. So can it be with your life and my life. What's God's purpose for you? To be a joy-filled person, to experience God. God's amazing grace, no matter what you're going through. God has something for you. Your past is history. Your future is a mystery. But today is a gift. That's why it's called a present. This is a gift today. Live it to your best ability. Your best days are out ahead of you. That's why the miracle of this walking on the water is really a time of prayer. The Bible says that Jesus went up to the mountain and he began to pray. 
That's why it's so important that you and I become people of prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God. Prayer is not a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts, friends. Prayer is simply talking to God. Like you talk to a family member or a relationship with a friend. You talk to somebody you love. That's what prayer is. Prayer is simply talking to the Lord. And how much do you pray? It determines how much do you want God's relationships. Relationship is so important because when you pray, relationship is beginning to be birthed. When you begin to pray, something begins to happen. God begins to move on your behalf. I believe that prayer is really a key that unlocks the storehouse of God's grace and God's power. You see, all that God is and all that God has is available to everyone who would pray. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, not if you pray. Prayer should be our first choice, never our last chance. Many people treat prayer like a parachute. They have it at their disposal, but only in the case of emergency do you pull the chute. But that's not who we are as Oasis Church. We're people of prayer. We're people that talk to the Lord. Jesus was not powerful because he was the son of God. As a matter of fact, he was powerful because he had a prayer life. And he prayed all night, many nights. And when he prayed, then came the signs. Then came the wonders. Then came the miracles. That's why he says in Jeremiah 33, 3, you call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you know not. All you need to do is you call upon the Lord in the day of trouble. Call upon the Lord when you're going through something. When you're going through adversity, call on the creator of heaven and earth. When you're going through situations, good things, call on him and thank him for providing for you. When you're going through a season of suffering, call on the Lord and he will answer you and show you great and mighty things you know not. Because when you pray, God begins to move. When you pray, heaven begins to get activated. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose down on earth will be loosed in heaven. Most Christians wait for God to take the initiative. God, when are you going to do something? And God's saying, I'm waiting for the church to take the initiative. I'm waiting to you to bind that thing. I'm waiting for you to loose that thing. I'm waiting for you to, to call those things that are not as though they are. Not being a denier. You call those things that are not as though they are. I know it looks this way, but God is making a way where there seems to be no way. I know the situation's dark, but the light of the world's coming into this room. I want you to know that when you talk to God, God begins to respond. He begins to respond. You may not understand it in the natural, but when God responds, he starts to provide. Aren't you glad God is your defender? Can we give the Lord a hand clap today? Now, this, this amazing story that I'm reading today, and you read it along with me, the disciples are in a great storm. They're God's chosen men, but yet they're in a storm. They're in great trouble, which tells us something, that trouble does not always mean chastisement. But sometimes when we get into trouble, we immediately think, man, God must be angry at me. I must have really sinned. I must have did things that God's not honoring, and now I'm in trouble as a result. But trouble does not mean chastisement. But some of you in which the churches you've come from, every time something goes wrong, it's because you've done something wrong. It's because you've said something, you've done something. And that's not simply true. Trouble doesn't mean that at all. As a matter of fact, only extreme storms expose which trees are alive and which ones are dead. Only storms expose what's deeply rooted. 
and what's just simply uprooted. A few weeks, a couple of weeks back, we had the storms that swept through the valley here. And as you saw, like I did driving, many of those trees were uprooted and they were toppled over. Why? The roots weren't deep enough. Only severe storms would tell you which trees down go deep and which one have shallow roots. Will we blown away with the, with the least amount of opposition? When the storm comes in our lives, it causes us as believers to get down deep into the word of God and our spiritual structure starts to take root. Our ability when the storm comes the next time to get a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger. Storms do something. They strip trees of dead branches. Why? To increase the potential of growth. God says you are a tree. He calls you and I over and over in the scriptures we're, we're, we're be, to be planted like a tree. We're, we're called the, the tree of life. He tells us in the scripture, he always relates us to, to a tree. Why is that important? Because God knew something about dead branches when storms come. They're stripped off so the potential of growth can come. And if God has allowed a storm to come, maybe it's not to harass you, but maybe it's to extract the things out of your life that has tried to hold you back and keep you from your divine purpose. Maybe, just maybe, God's allowed that thing to take on that root structure, and he's allowed the storm to come to see what you're really made of, to see if you're going to call on him, to see if he's going to answer you in the day of trouble. Jesus gave us a storm seminar, and he talked about, listen closely, two houses built by two different builders on two different kinds of foundation. One foundation was sand and the other foundation was rock. And he said something interesting. When the storms came, let's say it with us. Let's say it together this morning. When the storms came, not if the storm would come, but when the storm came. Why? It was a normal part of life. Storms come to everybody. And when the storm came, the one that was built on the rock stood and the house that was on the sand was obliterated. It was destroyed. The only way to test the quality of a man or a woman's life is when you go through the storm. When the storm's in the middle of the sea and you've been rowing and you're halfway there, everything you've trusted on, everything you depended on begins to fail. We ask questions called, why? Why? Why has this happened? Why? It's not wrong to ask why. It's human. You know, you can have doubt in your head, but faith in your heart. I tell you that because many of you think when you have doubt in your head that you've somehow let God down. You can have doubt in your head, but have great faith in your heart. Can I tell you about the greatest man who ever lived on this earth, born of a woman, was named John. His, he, Jesus said, there's no greater man on the earth other than John. You know him as John the Baptist who prepared the way for the coming of the Lord. Do you know John when he was in a, a, a difficult season? He was in the middle of severe storms. He was about to have his head chopped off by the queen. Do you know John asked his disciples, is Christ the one? Or will there be another? What does that tell you? The greatest man born under women that Jesus said of himself, John the Baptist, had doubt in his head, but he had faith in his heart. We read in the passage of Scripture where Job, he cried out to God, why wasn't I born dead? How many of you know that doesn't sound very encouraging? 
We hear Elijah, the great prophet of God, saying, Lord, take my life. I'm the last one left living for you. He slays 400 prophets of Baal, but now he's running from a skinny little woman with a lot of makeup on. You know, that should tell you something, by the way. And now he's saying, take my life. I'm the last one left living for you. He, he's, he's calling down fire from heaven. He's running 40 miles to catch the king's chariot. Think about that. Some of you are making New Year's resolutions. You're trying to run a mile. You know what I did last week? I thought about running a mile, and I had to sit down until the feeling left me. No bueno. Jesus on the cross, he cries, God. My God, why have you forsaken me? Some of us last year have went to the shallow graves of our loved ones. And we asked a question, haven't we? Why? Why? Why, God? Why did this happen? Some of you have done that same for your friends, your family members. We look at broken marriages, broken families, broken issues with our children. And we ask the same thing. Why? We hear the words of the great pulpiteer named Spurgeon saying God is too loving to be unkind. He's too wise to make a mistake. And we try to rationalize that in our heads because we have doubt in our heads. But something in our heart has to rise back and say, no, I will trust the Lord. Though he slays me, I shall trust in the living God. I shall trust in him. If God is truly too wise to make a mistake and if he's too loving to be unkind, then what does that tell you? That I've got to let the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard my heart and my mind through any storm that comes my way. So if the storm has come, it's certainly not by our decisions. Nobody in this room says, bring on a storm. I'm waiting. I know my bills are paid. I know I'm healthy and whole. I'm healthy as a horse. Clydesdale. I'm so good. I'm all good. Some of you are getting that right now. But nobody is super awesome. And yet they're going, you know, I'm just looking forward to the next storm. I'm just looking forward to the next calamity, the next call, the next diagnosis. There's not a person in their right mind that looks forward to the next storm. So it tells us the storms that have come, they're not by our decisions, but how we endure them determines our destiny. How we respond determines our destiny. We either obey or we disobey. We either stand on the bank of the shore or we get out in the miracle crusade and say, I know I'm in the middle and I know things are not going well, but I am going to trust the Lord. Will we give up on God, leave the church and go back to a godless life, go back to an undisciplined life? Or will we stand firm on the promises of God, knowing that this is truly holy ground where he assembles his people together on God's day? The Bible says those that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Will you live by discipline or by by desire. I think trouble does something. If it drives us to Jesus, it's a priceless commodity. If trouble has drove us to the Lord, it's a priceless commodity. Do you know every improvement you've ever made? It's because you've gone through trouble. Let have a heart issue come and you'll be on that treadmill the next day taking care of your body. Let an issue come with your children. You'll start to get on your knees And you begin to pray like you've never prayed before. Let an issue arise at work and your finances are in struggle. You'll start to learn the principle of tithe and offerings. 
when you're going through something, knowing that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Every important decision we make to our better is because of trouble. So trouble can be an asset. It can truly be an asset. When you're in the storm, you got to recognize that storm can develop you into a better person if you will allow God to take your life and let him use it. Trouble will show you stuff. You know, trouble will show you stuff. Reminds me of the two guys that were hiking and they were hiking in the woods and they came across this huge grizzly bear. When they saw the grizzly bear, he reared on his back legs, which is not a good sign, by the way. So one of the friends just began to quickly take off his hiking boots, put on his tennis shoes. And his friend said, you cannot outrun that bear. His friend said, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. (laughs) Trouble shows you who your friends are. Some of you have fake friends. You have fair-weather friends. You have friends that are, are like shadow friends. Some of you have friends that are not really your friends. Some of you, are your friends going to call you friend on Judgment Day? They're leading you into difficult seasons and difficult situations. They're not really your friends. And you have to realize trouble will show you stuff. It really will. They will, they will show you. The Bible says that the storm that they had been on lasted from 9 to 12 hours. We know that because the scriptures tell us. We know also that Jesus came in the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch in the night, you, you better understand when it's the fourth watch in the night, that's between 3 a.m. and 6 o'clock in the morning. So they're out on this sea three miles in, three miles to go. Between 9 and 12 hours fighting for their lives. They don't have a, a, a boat with a motor on it. They're, they're paddling. They're upset. They feel like they're going to die. They're trained fishermen. They know that sea. It's, it's a sustained storm. It's not coming and going. And here's the disciples. The Bible says they were alone. They were alone. God was on the mountain. He wasn't there. And I believe God was preparing them and he's preparing you and I that you will fight battles in a place called alone. Your friends won't be there. Your family won't be there. But when you really look closely, Jesus will be there. And everything's going to be all right. He'll be there. You know, there's another message of the miracle. Just because you can't see Jesus doesn't mean he cannot see you. Just because you cannot see Jesus does not mean he cannot see you. His eye is on the sparrow. And if his eye is on the sparrow, it's certainly on you and your family today. He knows what you're going through. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. He'll take you by the hand and he'll say, follow me. The best is yet to come. I want you to hear Jeremiah 29, 11, For God knows the plans he has for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a bright future. So today, are you in the middle? Are you in a storm right now? It's the first of the year I know, but you've come through right now some storms and you're thinking about giving up and the water seems overwhelming can I tell you the thing that was about to destroy them the water the thing that was about to take them out the winds God used it as a sidewalk to save them the thing that's about to take you out the thing that's about to pull you under mom it's about to take you out dad God's going to use it as a sidewalk to save you it may be out of your control but it ain't out of his control He holds the seven seas in the palms of his hand. The Bible says he has it under his feet. 
And if it's under his feet, you are his creation and his child. It's certainly under your feet. Can we give your storm a name this morning? How about a financial storm? How about a marital storm? How about a child storm, an emotional storm, a mental storm? God has not promised you smooth sailing, but God Almighty has promised you and I can have a safe landing. We will have a safe landing. I think about that because God says he owns it all and he controls it all. The scriptures tell us in verse 28 of the passage that the winds were contrary. It's a a staggering verse. They're out there nine to 12 hours and the winds were contrary. The gentle breeze that blew them across halfway in the middle of the day before now has become severe to take their life. What does that tell you? The miracle of this mission today. That which helped you yesterday may not help you in this new coming year. I want you to hear that because I think that's a word of the Lord for many people in this room. Because that which helped you in the past, it may actually hinder you in your future. Just the time when you think you got it all figured out. The things that have helped you in the past, it may hinder your future. The person that helped you yesterday may not be the person that helps you tomorrow. The business cooperation, the business partnership, it worked for you six months ago. It worked last year, but it may not work this year. Just the time you think you got it all figured out and I've got this all in line, then all of a sudden the storm comes and God switches the equation on you and you got to seek him like you've never sought him before. You've got to search for him in the scriptures like you've never searched before. Think about what happens. People depend on people too much much you say well people they they start letting you down because you're out of the will of God please you think Jesus was out of the will of God he had Judas he wasn't out of the will of God David had Absalom Saul had Demas when Jesus rode in Jerusalem on that donkey do you know what they said Hosanna Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord do you know 48 hours later The same crowd that was screamed, Hosanna, they yelled, crucify him. People will cheer you on one minute and they will stab you in the back the next minute. That's why if you live by the applause of the crowd or the social media likes and and shares, you will die by the same criticism. Can I tell you, friends, don't get hooked on anybody but Jesus. He'll never let you down. He's a friend that exists closer than a brother. He's a way maker. He's Jehovah God. He's the one who's there. He says, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. He's Jehovah Rophi, the Lord, our shepherd. And because he's our shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want love because God is love. I shall not want peace because he's the prince of peace. I shall not need joy in his presence. There's fullness of joy. I shall not need power because he anoints my head with oil. I shall not need anything because goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. That which helped you in the past may may really hinder you tomorrow. People depend too much on people. People depend too much on possessions. People say, well, money talks. Mine says (laughs) bye-bye. People depend on their money. But let me just tell you, cancer is not afraid of money. Heart disease is not afraid of money. Money can buy you a lot of things. Money can buy a $50 steak, but only God gives you an appetite to enjoy that steak. Money can buy you the best surgeons, 
but only God can give you a clean bill of divine health. Money can buy you a bed of gold, but only God can give you a restful night's sleep when you lay down at night. You know, money can give you a mansion of splendor, but only God can make your house a home where your children and family love you. Sometimes that which helps us in the past, it doesn't help us in the future. We have to depend upon Jesus. I'm telling you what God's word says about you, that you're loved, that you're chosen, that you have been qualified. You are equipped and well able to overcome any situation and any storm. I'm telling you what God says about you. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are royalty. I put the DNA of the creator of heaven inside of you. That makes you pretty important stuff. And the Bible says in verse 48 that he would have passed them by. I don't know about you, but when it says that, when I read that passage, the one who puts him in the storm, God, the one who tells him to go to the other side, he didn't say go to the other side and sink in the middle. And the scriptures say he's going to pass him by. You ever reason that out in your head if you read, if you read the Bible? How in the world did the one that sends him out, now they're in the middle of the storm, they need the miracle, and the scripture says he's walking on the water and he will pass them by. And the reason he will pass them by, I believe, is because he's as only as powerful when you call him. Call on me and I'll answer you and I will show you great and mighty things you know not. Jesus is powerless to help until we ask. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. You know, God's waiting to hear from you. The fourth watch in the night as we close, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. If you've ever been up that late of night, it's the darkest hours just before the dawn. I don't know about you, but I don't know why God has what I call the last minute theology. The last second breakthrough. I wish he would come through like right in the beginning of the storm. Before the storm, I wish he would just whisper, you're going to go through it. Awesome man of God, handsome man. But I'm going to sit with you every step of the way. They're all going to be evil, but not me. You are amazing. You're super awesome. You're real good looking. I don't know why he has the last minute theology. I don't know why he has the last second theology. I could have said something even funnier, but you guys would have thought I was very bad. But I just want you to think about just the time when you think it's about over. Here he comes, walking on the water. I think some people just give up too soon. They give up in the fourth quarter. Ray, that's when the games are won. That's when the baby comes. The fourth quarter is when we see what people are really made of. We see when the rubber meets the road and it really comes to a place of trial and struggle. We see who goes down deep and who gets uprooted. When the power really comes against you of hell and the enemy puts you on an onslaught and a hit list. We see what God's people are made of when the power of hell starts to berate you and the enemy starts to attack you and all of these things start to come against you. I'm telling you that's where God starts fighting the battle in the darkest hour just before the dawn here comes the Lord high and lifted up his train fills the temple and he flicks the enemy away and he says I got you I got you